0: Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about influencer marketing and social media in right around 15 minutes. I'm Sana Oldmark, head of marketing at Cure Media. And in this week's episode, I talk to Christopher Engman about marketing mix modeling for the modern CMO and why you should never measure the result channel by channel, but look at the holistic picture. Hi, Christopher, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Sana. My pleasure.
0: Nice to have you here. And before we jump into today's topic, can you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Great. So uh, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm involved in 15 companies, a blend of market companies, sustainability companies, um, predominantly. And uh, I've got four kids. Uh, nice. I I'm a bit of a geek, so I spend a lot of energy, and I've done so for quite a while, figuring out what is driving what, and that is has resulted in relatively deep knowledge into marketing mix modeling, but also the latest book that I've written about mega deals, which is kind of geeky. So yeah, I've read uh, it; uh, it's a great book. <laughs> thank you. But I really spend a lot of time seeing causes and effects. Um, I'm I'm relatively analytically driven. I've even written a book about how to forecast government (laughs) budgets, which is super geeky.
0: You soon have a library. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, one of the biggest challenges for today's CMOs is to understand how and where to invest their marketing budgets. Which channels, formats and messaging types contribute the most? And how should you balance the money and resources between the different channels and activities in the marketing mix? Now in the digital marketing landscape, there is so much data to use, and we have more sophisticated approaches to measure marketing and demonstrate ROI. Which takes us to today's topic, marketing mix modeling or advanced attribution. So Christopher, can you give us a brief background or define this concept for us?
1: Sure. I mean, the the issue normally when trying to quantify marketing effects is that something you mentioned actually a minute ago. So companies try to evaluate it tactic by tactic or channel by channel or campaign type by campaign type. And that is that is not very successful because you have something called interaction effect. So campaigns and channels are influencing each other. The most obvious example would be if you triple the spend on TV, that would drive search volumes. Or to your to your domain, if you do a lot of brand heavy spend on influencer marketing that is not only influencing search volumes and, and volumes of of leads, but it also probably, well, most of the time influences the win rate. So of the people that bounce into your website, more of them will buy. So th- those are examples of interaction effects. And and the, the other issue uh, that pull the leg on people trying to quantify marketing is time lag. So... A lot of marketing actually isn't carrying fruit tomorrow. No. You do something, and the effect is actually spread out over a long time. So, so uh, time—it's a bit like uh, we both like training. Like uh, I, uh, when you start training, you get a certain relatively immediate effect, but you also get the a long a delayed effect and, and to get really good you need more time and you build it up. It's a bit like building a brand, yeah. which is actually also related to, to time lag. So it's a bit, it's a bit uh, slow to build it up, but it's also slow to, to lose it. So even if Coca-Cola would stop all their marketing tomorrow, in one year's time, most people on the planet Earth would know what Coca-Cola is. Yeah, so, for sure. Which is uh, which is what we call in the marketing mix modeling world, ad stock, which is kind of a way va- a way to measure brand value. Yeah. Uh, but but all of these are, are creating issues for any type of simple attribution. So whenever you use, it, I mean, Google for example, to be honest, is absolutely awful, because you're looking at the last click, and then you you then you go, oh, search is amazing. Mm. Well, is it? It is often the last click or a retargeting ad. It can also be a last click. So you overvalue anything that has an immediate effect, and you undervalue anything that has a delayed effect, yeah. and you also undervalue interaction effects. So how type campaigns are influencing each other. Mm. So so when you do so often when you look at companies that have done attribution based on Google, or even if they've tried to do multi-touch attribution with a slightly more advanced platform, they still often end up with the same issue. Uh, They look at the marketing with a too short-sighted tool. So um, then when you look at those marketing mixes, they're typically very heavy on discount campaigns. They're very heavy on, because that's fast converting. They're typically very heavy on search. Uh, They're typically very heavy on retargeting. No, Now, all of those three are great in a blend, but they're all very fast converting. So typically what happens is that you struggle more and more over time. You pay higher and higher fees to get the conversion because you're not simultaneously building the brand and the thought leadership, et cetera. So you're kind of burning ground, uh, and your conversion typically is becoming more and more costly, whereas if you flip it and you say, okay, well, let's say we have a good blend of short immediate conversion, medium-term conversion, and long-term conversion, and we, we have a good blend of building brand, thought leadership, sharing insights, and the conversion, then what you what you typically see is that over time, not immediate, and this is the trick, when you're quantifying it in Google Analytics or some tool like that, you don't see this. So what happens is that you you over time are seeing a higher and higher win rate, bigger, bigger, I mean, higher and higher conversion from... from an ad, for example, into the site and then higher conversion from the site into a purchase or a sign up or whatever you want quantifying, because you're having a stronger and stronger brand. Like, I mean, we got in touch that way. I mean, you saw mega deals in a variety of contexts, yeah. ho- hopefully insightful and, and things that resonated with you and those were not convert- conversion oriented. You saw mm. videos, maybe listened to a podcast of ours or something like that. And you said, okay, wow, these guys are on to something. It yeah, rec- they know what they talk about. They know what they talk about. So, so that is the B2B version of the, the brand building. So mm. then if we would throw in a conversion campaign, it would be relatively likely that you would want to participate in a webinar or even say yes to meeting whatever and yeah. it's the same in the b2c world so yeah. so the the issue normally with the simple uh, marketing attribution uh, or even the multi touch is that they're very short sighted yeah. uh, and you you miss what's what's actually essential any kind of marketing whether it's b2c or b2b and actually more now than before so trust is lo- at the lowest point in history mm-hmm. trust in companies is at the lowest point and
0: we're tired of ads and yeah, and, 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 and if
1: we're not good at building the trust, which is a part of the brand, we're not going to get the conversion. So we'll pay hefty fees mm. to, I mean, throw, I mean, pull clients in with brutal force instead of having the the nice oily feeling, if you, if yeah, you know what I mean. Let's so
0: start from the beginning and yeah. So, so, the yeah, so those
1: are some of the, so, some of the issues. So, so what marketing mix modeling, sorry for the long answer, okay. marketing mix modeling is, is all about is to look at the blend of channels, how much you spend on each, but also the blend of uh, campaign types and content types. And then you see simultaneously how they contribute to the revenue, to the profit, how they influence each other. What kind of delayed effects you see in each, uh, and and you make one formula out of that, mm. and that's the only way you can see uh, the real value. I'm sure if you would put yourself in the f- in the shoes of the client, and you say, okay, here's a here here are the results from the influencer marketing campaign. I'm sure that that vendor, you or someone else, would say, well, we have contributed this much, but your contribution. So you're kind of a blend of brand and conversion. So, so inf- yeah, but 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 so so uh, the search the search people would take most of the credit uh, and even though they don't, didn't deserve it you would take some of the credit that maybe was influenced by this podcast for example like this is a typical example of a thought leadership piece where hopefully uh, the listeners are getting a great great view of, of you from cure media hopefully yeah <laughs> uh, and and uh, that is then uh, influencing your own influencer marketing which is in turn influencing the search for example yeah so so and that's it, a
0: tricky part yeah definitely and i think most of the listeners agree out there uh, and also as it's in the human nature to also seek the immediate effect yeah. we, what we do now and we want to see the result tomorrow but instead yeah. we need to go back and work on the branding part because as you say that's the result in yeah. the long term so Speaking of, we talked a bit about the benefits, but what would you say are the main benefits of using this marketing mix modeling for a B2C company?
1: The clear benefits are that you see uh, the delayed effects. Um, You can quantify the ROI with a more credible base Um, and uh, you're catching how campaigns are influencing each other. So you get a much more holistic, to your point uh, a few minutes ago, Mm. Holistic view, and particularly as a CMO, if you are coming to the leadership team or the board and you're talking about channel by channel, any smart leadership member would say, "But Sana, that's you. You have isolated it. Yeah. Your health, as an analogy, your health is not only depending on your training; it's also depending on food, sleep, vitamins, yeah. water amount. I mean, there is a lot of factors. Definitely. And this is the same thing here. And and um, and, and there is a reason why marketing mix modeling is working well. It has been around for quite a long while, but it's been isolated among the biggest brands in the world because it's been, it has been, not anymore, but it has been extremely expensive. And now we have, like you said before, we have the availability of the data, we have the computer power because now it—I mean—the computer power in your phone is probably ten times the the one of a server that existed fifteen years ago. So yeah, there is a lot of computer are power. changing. Yeah, I remember when when I went to university, certain computations could take days. Now it's like boom, done. Yeah, because the computers were so slow. So there's a lot of things coming together, allowing majority to at least medium-sized companies, especially BDC, obviously. Uh, but some, some be in the B2B space as well, especially the larger ones. But uh, definitely B2C companies, mid and up, can now benefit from marketing mix modeling. And another interesting aspect of marketing mix modeling is that the, it, it exists. It's, so that's a branded name, by the way. It's actually multi-variable regression analytics.
0: Okay, so it's branded for a marketing It's branded for context. marketing,
1: yeah. Uh, and it's the marketing mix that you want to model. So mm, the market and mix right. modeling, but but it actually exists. So if you look at, uh, so th- this was something I did when I was younger. I, I helped the Swedish government uh, to improve their forecasting of the government budget, and that cool. was the same. I mean, we could have called that market and mix modeling, but it was it was not. It, it was a different brand name. So yeah. we, we was multivariable regression analytics, non-linear, which is the same you use in MMM, and. Uh, but the, for the government budget, you're looking at tax tax levels. You're looking at other uh, macroeconomic factors like rent levels, interest levels, inflation, those kind of factors, and you model. So if you set, what you want to know is if you adjust a, a tax level to a certain level, what, what happens immediately and over time? Because that also has mm. a time lag. It's yeah. a delayed effect. Like, for example, if you change a tax on something, it doesn't change people's behavior the, the day after. But if you look one year ahead, two years ahead, all of a sudden, the behaviors change. For example, we have an example from Sweden where uh, the Swedish government wanted to shift the behaviors around alcohol. I'm not sure you, you, you know this, but... but
0: Probably I was not drinking alcohol at that time, <laughs> but...
1: <laughs> so what they did was... So historically, Sweden has been like uh, f- Finland used to be and Russia probably is still drinking a lot of vodka which is not necessarily very healthy. Mm-hmm. So on Fridays, people drank vodka. And I mean, I'm not talking before my age even. But mm. uh, w- w- So they wanted to shift the, the, the behaviors of the Swedes. So what they did was they shifted the alcohol tax from being placed on the amount to being placed on the alcohol content, which means that all of a sudden the tax level on vodka was extremely high compared to a very expensive wine, all of a sudden became relatively cheap because Mm -hmm. it has maybe 12% alcohol. And if the bottle is expensive, the tax rate of that is almost a a, a rounding error. So Meaning that all of a sudden, overall, the better alcohols were cheaper, relatively speaking, but the alcohol-heavy ones were super expensive. So now, if you look at the Swedish behavior, but this has taken a long time. It's, it's yeah, not just a year. Sure. It's taken, I mean, almost a generation. But yeah, now, behavioral. when I was a teenager, we almost always drank vodka. Mm. But now, uh, teenagers are drinking wine or sparkling yeah. wine or something, or they cider are more or something.
0: They sophisticated nowadays.
1: Yeah, but it's actually, it's, it has set a new behavior. But that mm. is an example of a very, very long time lag, mm. like the delayed effect. So, and you have that in marketing as well. So yeah. so, so it's, it's sometimes, when you just look at the immediate effect, it becomes almost, and I know so many board members and management team members, they would never trust marketing's analytics. So the marketing team's analytics, unless it's covering long term effects, mm. they would just go, But that's not, I don't trust your model.
0: Yeah. So there are many concepts around MMM. Uh, you mentioned the time lag, the interaction effects, the ad stock, for example. Mm. Uh, But there are many more concepts. Could we just quickly go through the most important ones that you think?
1: So a a few of the other important, uh, maybe the most important one is slope or multiplier. So easily explained, if you put one dollar or one euro in, how many euros do you get back on that campaign in the forecast? Mm. So if the the multiplier or the slope is 10, you put in one of something, you get 10 back. So that's basically yes. the 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 roi per channel or per tactic. That is the most right. important one. Yes. Uh, and what is w- worth noticing though, is that 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 multiplier isn't constant. So if you, for example, I've seen cases like that. so you can spend a lot on influencer marketing if you take your domain, but you come to a certain saturation point where, if you spend another dollar, another dollar, it doesn't add more value. It starts to flatten out. So mm. it's the same as in training. So you, if you train, let's say you train five times per week, you have a great effect. But if you add a sixth or seventh time, actually the effect goes down. And if you add this, an eighth, ninth time, you can actually have a negative effect. Mm. So it, it's miss. breaking your body down. Yeah. But marketing is the same. So if you're overusing certain tactics, you are burning the market. They get annoyed. Mm. So... So you have a saturation point, or or, or some people call it an S curve. So it's bending. Yeah, the effect is bending.
0: Law of diminishing returns. It is the law of
1: diminishing returns, and you have that in many many domains. Mm. Uh, So, uh, and then uh, standard error is sounds very technical, but what it really tells you is the deviation or the variation. So, let's say I give you an example. Um, The variation of the standard error on search is typically pretty low. It's pretty predictable. So the, the ROI or the slope you're getting over time is relatively stable. Whereas TV campaigns, because, of, because the content varies so much, can have a very high standard deviation. So if you run 100 campaigns in TV, you might see an average ROI that is 10 times the money. But one campaign could be one time the money, another one mm. is 50 times the money. That's a very high fluctuation or, uh, yeah yeah it's high volatility high volatility so volatility mm. like it's it's very variable but what what you often look at is the average slope uh, because if you have a high average so if you have a high slope even without the high standard deviation high high volatility it's typically over time pretty good mm. but if you have i give you an example when it's not so good let's say you have only you have only one quarter to go of the year and the year result is really important then you might want to go for a, a type of campaign that has a lower volatility, because yeah, you, you so can't yeah exactly you can't gamble. This so yeah, is okay. Right. This has a lower ROI, so lower slope, mm. but also low standard deviation. So we we we're not gambling here. We know that we're getting more or less this money back. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. It's. It feels like it's good to take a basic course in statistics before. Well, actually, <laughs> jumping yeah. I into mean,
1: uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of Instagram posts, et cetera, about this. So they say it's gone from madman to mathman. Mm. It, it, it's some truth in that. So I, I think uh, combining creativity, strategic thinking, actually some basic level. I mean, a CMO wouldn't need to do the ca- calculations, obviously, but mm-hmm. a basic understanding of the marketing mix, mix modeling terms, yeah, uh, like we described now, I think is totally needed for most marketeers. And even if you, regardless if you're on the CMO side or if you represent, like you guys do more a domain within the marketing mix, I think it's good to really understand the, yeah, those terms, yeah, the basic ones.
0: That's interesting. So do you have a final word before we end this podcast? Something you think uh, the CMOs out there should take with them?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. There is there's some kind of analysis paralysis that you want to avoid, which means that some will say, well, I don't have enough data. I just want to, I, we need to build the data first. So my, my experience is the opposite. So don't start there. Actually do the first analysis using market mix modeling with slightly too little data. And, and then you figure out what kind of data do I need? Because sometimes the modeling tells you where you'd lack data. So even though the first results are not reliable, you need to get going. Yeah, so, start so that's, somewhere. Yeah, start somewhere. And then the second recommendation, that's the first thing you do, and you start to iterate. And then the second thing is to, when you are, if you, now we're looking long-term, what you want to do is to mark uh, not just channels with the spend levels and volumes and conversion levels, etc. but you also want to mark, for example, if you take your domain, you might want to mark the difference between icons, influencers, micro-influencers, and non-influencers. You might wanna mark a campaign, is this a conversion, like, for example, a discount code? That's very high conversion. Then you say, well, this is mainly a conversion campaign, or it's 50-50 conversion branding. Uh, So those kind of metadata is something you wanna add. You can actually backtrack it. You can go back one, two years in time, but uh, you can lay a pretty good foundation for future analytics if you're marking campaigns more, not just channels, but content types. Yeah, We've even seen, seen companies marking messaging. So if you have a certain, in your brand platform, you have certain messages that you want to push or you want to be associated with, then you're marking that as well. So this in this campaign, we're talking about two out of our five key messages, and mm. you can see how that is driving, for example, ROI immediately and over time. Interesting, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think those are just two quick ones. Uh, so start quick and even though you think I have too little data, well, let's get started and then you also see what is needed. It's exactly. learning, it's a learning process. Yeah. And then the second one is kind of more long-term. Build over time a great foundation of meta-tagged data.
0: Thank you so much, Christopher, for visiting the podcast and sharing your insights and thoughts. Thank you too. Where can the listeners find you?
1: So easily on LinkedIn, so Christopher Engman with a CH and a pH, uh, and Engman with an E uh, and I have also a Twitter account, Chris Engman. Mm, yeah those two are probably the most or at megadies.com uh, as well, which is my main company. I have, yeah. I'm a part of 15, but that's kind of my, my main one. Um, yeah.
0: great. Thank you.